Hello and welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. And today we will talk with some great guests about the impact faith can have in our life. Recently graduated from college and originally from Colorado, Tim and Perry Rose Force will share some of their wisdom and experience of college life, conversion, marriage, and witnessing to our faith. So, uh, welcome, Tim and Perry Rose. How are you doing? How is your day going? Doing very well. We're so thankful you're here, Father Patrick. You travel to Hillsdale every Tuesday to help us minister to the students of Hillsdale College. So, thank you for being here. Absolutely. How are you doing, Perry Rose? So good. Um, It's been a great blessing. We've had adoration here um, all day, and so I feel like we are ready for this interview. Very good. Ready to go. (laughs) Also, a little context I think is worth mentioning. uh Uh-huh. Father Patrick has converted our kitchen into a studio and yes, done a great job of it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I hope <laughs> so that we're not good. recording at our uh, typical studio where we where I do all the recordings at our family center in, in Michigan. We're, we went to on, on site, on location at the house of Tim and Peros, and the best place was the kitchen. So we're in the kitchen uh, with all these uh, microphones and so forth. So I hope it goes well. If you hear something in the background, it's because we're in the kitchen. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. Okay, very good. So, uh, first of all, why don't you guys give us a little bit of a background, um, where you, very brief, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, where you studied, and when you got married, and uh, then uh, Peros can tell us a little bit about your uh, conversion experience, and so forth. Um, I will start, because my story's a lot less interesting, but my name is Tim Force. I was born originally in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was, I'm a cradle Catholic, been Catholic my whole life. My parents did a really good job of raising me in the faith, um, but we, uh, so coming to college though is when I really dug deep into my faith, which I was really excited about. So I was so thankful for the graces given to me by God during my confirmation that allowed me to become very interested in serving for the Holy Mass and being close to liturgy. I fell in love with the liturgy. And then when I came to college, I had these great opportunities to get involved in daily devotional prayer to draw close to the Hillsdale College Catholic Society, and then since graduating to find a wonderful life in ministry. And all along the way, uh, Perry Rose has been involved in so many of those steps. We started dating in high school. And we started dating because we were both interested in attending Hillsdale College or the Air Force Academy. So we started talking about those things. Which the Air Force Academy is there in Colorado Springs. Yes, Northern Colorado Springs, the Air Force Academy. So we started talking then. we have to thank... um, you know, we, we have our college to thank for bringing us together, but not in the normal way where, you know, you meet them your, you know, your freshman year and you get to know each other and you date. Ours was more like, oh, wow, we might have a lot in common because we both love Hillsdale College and we became friends. So Exactly. So we were both year. interested in Hillsdale. And so we started dating sophomore year and then came to Hillsdale College together and got married before our senior year. And then right after graduating, moved into the grotto and have been working in Catholic ministry for four years now. All right, before we, Peros, before you tell us your story, um, you just mentioned the grotto, so I think I should make a quick explanation. Uh, Here at Hillsdale, there's a campus ministry, campus uh, Newman Center, typically, uh, and that's a parish, and uh, the parish has like a little satellite building very close to campus, and it's called the grotto, and this is this house where we're doing the recording now where Tim and Peros live, and uh, yeah, here we have mass, uh, confession, spiritual direction, and it's like a home for the students who come and they're received by you guys also hospitably. And uh, yeah, this is a wonderful experience for all the students. It's, it's a great. really beautiful house. It's the whole reason it exists too is 
because Bishop Boeo allowed us to um, have our Lord here in the Blessed Sacrament 24-7. Um, and that's a huge gift to the students, just having access to our Lord very close to campus. And very it's good. a huge blessing to us to live with our Lord as lay people. So beautiful. That's awesome. It is beautiful. And Prairie Rose hit it right on the head, mentioning Bishop Boyer and his ministry in the Diocese of Lansing and Father Dave and the work that he's done. So we're so thankful for them. Very good. So why don't you tell us a little bit, Prairie Rose, about your story? Sure. So Tim kind of mentioned all of the facets of like how we, you know, all our dating life and all of that. Um, but I actually was raised LDS, which is what Mormons prefer to be called. I was uh, Mormon. Latter-day um, Saints. Latter-day Saints. Yep. Um, so I was raised Mormon and my family is, is as, um, my family is extremely pious and extremely devout. Um, they were all growing up and they still are now. Um, and I have nothing but respect for the Mormon community. Like they're the most charitable people (laughs) on earth. Really. They'll give you the shirt off their back any day of the week. But, um, all growing up, I kind of didn't really find the religion to be extremely compelling. Um, my mom noticed this about me she knew that i had a lot of questions and um she would take me out on what we called taco bell dates Mm -hmm. where she would take me to taco bell and we would just just the two of us there's seven kids in my family and she would just just take me and she would answer some of my questions you know she'd ask i would ask like well you know how how can i be sure that you know joseph smith found the golden plates um and how can i be sure that like he saw god and my mom would try to answer all of those questions and she was extremely patient with me um And I just would ask a lot of questions about the faith. But I think I look back now and I realize, you know, I've always wondered. I've always had some issues with the faith. I always always tried really hard um, to understand it. But I kept getting told all growing up um, when I was, you know, as as a Mormon in the Mormon church, I just kept getting told, um, you just need to read the Book of Mormon and you need to pray. And if you do that faithfully, like the Holy Ghost will reveal to you that this is true and you'll have a burning feeling in your heart and you'll know that this is true. Um, and I just kept doing that. I just kept trying. Like I just kept reading the book of Mormon. I think I read it six times over wow. the course, like through until high school. And every time I would just pray, you. I would just like be on my knees in my bedroom. Like, please just like show me that this is true. And I just kept waiting for that burning feeling. And that's the lingo, like the burning feeling in your heart and you'll know it's true. And I just kept waiting and I kept waiting and I kept trying persistently Um, and I just kept thinking like, I must have some issues with faith. Like I must not be very good at having faith. Um, but I just kept trying and I come to Hillsdale College. Sorry to interrupt. I've heard it from another speaker talking about the Mormons, uh, that sometimes they put a little bit too much of a uh, stress on that point. That if you don't get the burning feeling, if you don't understand there's something wrong with you, so to speak. You're you're doing something wrong. I've never been told that. Mm-hmm. I was never told that. But that's just kind of the, the natural conclusion that I came uh-huh. to. Right. You know, no one ever said like, wow, she must be like this, that, or the other. She must be right. unfaithful. She must be living like a sinful life. She must be whatever. I just always felt like, well, if I'm not getting it, then there must be something wrong with me, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway, I came to Hillsdale College and um, I just was surrounded by people who were of different faiths um, and who all pretty much all of them, whether they were Protestant, Catholic, you know, whatever they were, they all were living out their faith in like very radical ways because that's just typically the kind of student that Hillsdale college attracts. And um, I was pretty amazed. I was one of three Mormons (laughs) and I was felt a little overwhelmed actually, especially by the Catholic population just because Hillsdale college is about 33% Catholic and I felt like, wow, there are a lot of Catholics here. And I'd never really met a Catholic 
other than Tim and perhaps maybe one other friend in high school who like actually lived out their Catholic faith. I knew a lot of Catholics, but not mostly they were in name only. Um, and I came to college and was just like astounded by how people were living out their faith. Um, and because Tim was getting so involved in Catholic society stuff, I just kind of would tag along, you know, and I wasn't really interested. I was just there to like hang out. And um, I met a lot of great friends there. All of my best friends came through Catholic society. And um, I remember the first time praying the rosary with them and being kind of disturbed by it. Like, they're just all chanting together. And it just felt so weird. And I didn't understand what was going on. And just everything felt so foreign, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, I was trying to go to the Mormon church here in Hillsdale. Um, and I persisted in doing that through my freshman year until um, I just kind of finally got so fed up with like not feeling like I had any faith right, that I right. just kind of tapered off and stopped. Um, and you know, I didn't really tell my parents when I went home for that summer, I went to church with them, but I wasn't going to church here until it got so dark that actually my sophomore year, I was pretty much agnostic. Um, I just felt like we can't really know anything. Like there's no way to tell if God's there. Like he's not talking to me. He must either, he doesn't love me or he's not there or whatever, but I'm just not going to do this anymore. And I, that was a pretty dark time of my life. I'm um, just feeling really alone. Well, your sof- sophomore year. My sophomore year. Mm-hmm. But then um, I think that gave me a lot of perspective because I was able to kind of be a part of this Catholic society group and really have no interest in the religion, um, but just kind of look at it from a pretty reason-based perspective, like out of my intellectual curiosity. And right, I just and started... Social, it's somewhat of a social group too. Exactly. You know, so I was just there, there having fun. Friendly. And right. then they would all talk about their faith. And I would just kind of look at it from this like intellectual in like curiosity perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of slowly came to like, be like, mm, that kind of makes sense. Like, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. I guess that's kind of makes sense. Um, over and over that would happen to me, but I wasn't really accepting anything. I was just there to, have, right. to hang out. And um, I just remember there was one day I was in an English class with Dr. Somerville and I'm an English major and I love poetry and he read this poem about, it's called Quid Pro Quo, and it was about um, a father who, his wife had just had a miscarriage, and he looks up at the sky and raises his middle finger and basically says, screw you to God. Mm-hmm. And the poem goes through how he's how he has this reaction, this visceral reaction to God, and um, by the end of the poem, he's kneeling in front of an altar as his son is getting ordained. So he, his wife has finally has a baby. They're blessed with this child. And he's like, this is how God reacts to our ungratefulness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is the quid pro quo. This is the tit for tat is that God will generously Mm -hmm. give back despite how selfish we are. And I just realized like, am I doing that to God right now? Am I putting my middle finger up to him and saying, screw you to God? Um, And that was a really kind of come to Jesus moment for me. Um, And there were many other instances of kind of these great gifts of actually God spoke to me through poetry a couple of other times. That sounds really nerdy. Um, And it is, (laughs) but it's true. That's how my conversion happened was several times. And and it's so funny because Dr. Somerville isn't even um, Catholic. And I think he would probably be a little bit just, you know, perturbed to hear this. Um, But it it was poetry in his class that really changed my life. But um, finally. It's also a Paul Mariani poem. Oh yeah. And then Dr. Somerville invited Paul Mariani to campus and we got to meet him. It was, he signed my book that has quid pro quo in it. It was, it all came full circle. It was so beautiful. Awesome. But um, okay, sorry, I'm going to speed up this towards the conclusion here. But finally we were at, we were on spring break. Um, 
at the during our junior year no our sophomore year so i had been going through this very dark time through my sophomore year and i finally you know i was getting interested in the church i had these like moments with through poetry and finally we were on spring break and um tim was explaining to his aunt who is not catholic about the communion of saints and i just remember listening to him explaining this and i was like yeah tim that was like perfect that was a perfect explanation way to go and i all of a sudden realized like oh <laughs> gosh like i believe that right and i had right, this moment right, of like right. this is what faith feels like is like i didn't this like i'm not like doubting this like i feel certain in a strange way of something i really can't be certain about but i feel like in my mind and in my heart i guess i feel certain of this and i just kind of took inventory in that moment and realized oh man i believe a lot of the tenets of the catholic church um and it was kind of all like it i didn't even realize along the way how many things i like really believed um until in that moment like the holy spirit really spoke to me and was like look interior interiorly at yourself and you'll realize how much how much of this you believe and so essentially to you know end of the story um i told tim that i want to do rca and go through rca and in that same conversation (laughs) when we decided when i decided to come into the church we also decided to get married that's wonderful (laughs) yeah that's wonderful yep yep very good so obviously tim had a lot to do in that conversion although it's we we call yeah. it the Holy Spirit, but it kind of. <laughs> well, you know, I actually do. I think Tim's um, just kind of like very constant witness, um, and he never tried to convince me of anything. Right. And That's I think awesome. just kind of like living his life and our friends living their lives. I mean, people always say this, but it's so true. It's like people witnessing through their actions does so much more than words. Because I don't think if anyone had tried to like get combative verbally with me, it would have. Right. I probably would just been like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't right. believe we this stuff. Up, I don't believe this stuff. Off. Yeah, exactly. But just watching them at Catholic side events, like watching them come to the grotto and like pray the rosary every night at 10 p.m. Like, why are you doing this? You know? Wow. Um, but now That's pretty kinda, awesome. I came to understand and it's really beautiful. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for that uh, witness. Uh, let's move on a little bit to our topic um, that is a little bit of your witness as a, a married couple, very young, uh, here working with uh, college students. The first thing I think uh, is to, for me, uh, to recognize the reality of marriage as a gift of God, right? So uh, it is a sacrament that Christ has instituted. It's not a human thing. It's not a human invention. And therefore, it is a path to holiness, right? So when you to get married, when anyone gets married with a, as a, in a sacramental marriage, we get so many graces, right? So the church teaches us that that sacrament is uh, for a man and a woman to be united for life. One man, one woman for life. And that's the commitment that you two take before God. Um, so the reality is, though, however, that uh, in today's society, even many college students, high school students already are considering that they're not going to get married because they don't see the value of that commitment, right? Why would I stick with one person for life if then after a while I may not like them, you know? So they see it very, in a, very much in a utilitarian way, in a short-minded way, and I think most of the times with an aware uh, or a weakness of commitment, right? A lack of will, lack of commitment. So what would you be able to uh, tell us, uh, everyone, me and everyone who is listening, um, what, why would you recommend to anyone today to get married? What are the fruits that you see, the positive aspects of it? And what is, why is it much better than just 
you know, what they call the hookup culture or to get together for a while, live together for some time and then, you know, maybe not have kids or maybe have kids, but then we go with some other couple and then we change parents and all these things that are happening today. Yeah, so, I mean, that is a big question and I think a lot of people have answered this question well. Jason Everett, Christopher West, you know, Pope John Paul II, St. Pope <laughs> John Paul II. So I would definitely look to them for advice, but I think upon reflecting upon questions like this in the past, it's worth considering what do we really mean by cohabitation or the hookup culture? And of course, what we mean is people having sex with each other. And no matter how you cut it up, no matter how you think about it, you're either having sex to have a baby or you're having sex and desperately not trying to have a baby. So like we all know that having sex is about babies. And I don't think you can escape from that reality no matter how hard you try. And then when you think about these things deeply for a moment, you realize having a baby is high stakes stuff. Like this is one of the biggest, most risky decisions you can make. It's financially risky. It's risky for a woman and her body. It's risky for a man and his need to like support someone. And it's risky most of all for this little human being who is going to come into the world. And I... I don't know how you can escape from this reality. So I think it's worth facing the reality instead of trying to run from it. And when and, you say risky, I think, you know, I think you mean like, I think you mean it's risky in as much as like it yeah. is high stakes. It's high you know? stakes. Yeah, it's I'm a responsibility. Trying, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. just trying to say this the frankest way possible. Like this is a high <laughs> stakes situation. So right, unless right, right, you right. want that, you, right. What are you doing? Exactly. Right. So, uh, but on the other hand, I would say, it is also a great blessing. Oh, sure. Right? So like that's where... Right, that's what I'm trying to clarify. Okay. Yes. <laughs> good, good, good. So I just am saying at a most basic level, marriage then is the ropes, right? It is the way in which the rock climber is protected from these inherent risks. And like doing risky things is kind of the great stuff of life. The key is how do you then mitigate, mitigate these risks? How do you come to understand like in within what context does this risk become a blessing and the context the church has provided to us from the beginning god provided it to adam and eve from the very beginning he showed them that through a monogamous lifelong relationship you can have the security and the love necessary to bring human life into the world and co-create with god in this like beautiful symphony of life-giving love and that is ultimately why marriage is so important. And we can run from this question as much as we want, but I think once you realize that the point of sex is babies, and then it puts a lot of context, like how marriage sort of uh, safeguards that primary uh, end of marriage. Um, we can get deeper into unity and all that stuff. I just want to speak mostly on that most practical level. Right. Because that's who you said we're talking to. Yes, we're talking yes, yes, to the yes. people who might be considering cohabitation. I'm just saying that seems high stakes to me. <laughs> like right, you right, should right. figure out where what's the safety net, right? And the safety net is lifelong, life-giving love. And the joy is that that safety net really makes all of those things so good, good. and so beautiful right. and no longer seem like a risk at all, sure. you know, because you're in the right situation to to have those things happen. 
And but, Christ tells us that his yoke is light, right? And because so often it seems like he's giving us all these rules and these rules seem so hard. Well, the fact of the matter is the yoke is light because those things direct us and give us the safety and security we need to then actually live a life of love and not one of fear. And then one other thing that obviously it's within your what you're saying right now, um, the difference also between a civil marriage, right, and a living together and a sacramental marriage is that God is in this business as well. You know, God is helping us. God is giving us his grace. He gives you the possibility to be a parent. He gives you the possibility to be a husband, a wife, and to do those things graciously with mistakes, but also to learn from those mistakes and to be a better um, parent the next time over, you know? So, so yes, I, I think all this is great. I'd also love to just add that, you know, especially coming from the more female perspective, I think that marriage is such a gift because not that, you know, you, use can still happen in a marriage, but I think that especially in a cohabitating situation, use becomes such a problem. Um, I think like not being married and yet still having sex to speak frankly, as Tim was, it leads to one person using the other person um, for their Absolutely. own, for their own good, um, for their own, you know, pleasure. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me that you're committed enough to live together, but you're not committed enough to promise yourself until death. Um, and yet you're still willing to like commit the most vulnerable act with another, with that person who could choose to leave you at any moment and who hasn't really actually given himself to you. I mean, the whole point of sex is that you're giving yourself to another. And yet that person is unwilling to actually give himself to you. And I just think that's inherently going to lead to use. Um, and, you know, Tim and I always, we have this sign in our bedroom, actually, that says, thank God we're stuck. And um, <laughs> I think it's such, and, you know, people, I think, like, we've said this in front of my mom, and she's like, oh, that's such a, like, negative view of marriage. And I just think it's actually the most positive thing, because it's like, I might be a really, I might be a, I might be a super grumpy person in the morning, but thank God we're stuck. You're not going to, I might brush my teeth in a way that you really hate, but thank God we're stuck. I might fall into a state of mortal sin that is very hard on our marriage, but thank God we're stuck, you know? And, right. and in all of these parts of sexual ethics, like we are going to make mistakes and we probably are going to use each other in different ways. And thank God we're stuck. And all those sacramental graces that you mentioned, Father Patrick, I think all of those are going to come through for us. And the Holy Spirit is really going to work through our marriage because we've made that commitment. Um, and because that, because the graces of that sacrament are real, they're efficacious. Absolutely. And absolutely. Thank God we're stuck. You know. Right. Well, it's the same thing with the priesthood, right? The the priest makes a commitment to not marry, not because he didn't like to get married, but because we want to give that up for God. But then God, in spite of the fact that we take a very a very risky responsibility of taking on the priesthood, God comes to help us if we are faithful. Exactly. Right? So He, I trust that God is going to aid my commitment to the priesthood. Hmm? Very good. Well, thank you very much for all this. There's obviously more to speak about. As you said, we can quote John Paul II. And you could go a long way. I'd like to provide a quick image. I mean, a lot of people who listen to Catholic podcasts probably know this, but like the apologetics, like house is what they talk about. And like you might have atheists in the lawn mm -hmm. and theists in the bottom floor, Protestants in, the, you know, at least Christians in the second floor and Catholics on the third floor. 
And then you can't just yell out of the third floor to people in the lawn, like transubstantiation and expect them to suddenly <laughs> like be like elevator up to the third floor. It's a lo- slow process. And I think educating people about marriage is a similar thing. I think there's plenty of biological and um, social uh, considerations for how important marriage is that a lot of conversations can start there. And then as you continue the conversation, then you start reminding people of like the dignity of the human person. You start reminding them of our own poverty and how much we need God and his graces in our life. And soon you can bring these people not only in from the lawn, but like up into the beauty of the apologetics mansion. So I think that's just a really beautiful image. It's helpful to like realize we can't speak to everyone the same way. We kind of see where they are and respond to them from where they are. And I'm so grateful to be talking about this because like Tim is saying, this is actually true for me. This is part of what brought me into the church was some of the like reason-based like ethical arguments that I was like, wow, I can like really buy into that. And a lot of them were sexual based, like the dignity of the person based. So very good. Very good. Well, and all how how many years have you been working at the grotto? This is our fourth year. We're finishing fourth year. our fourth year, and it's also, sadly, our last. But. Well, you're moving to a great state of Colorado, uh, which is we're going to miss you very much here in Michigan. But uh, what I wanted to share a little bit, if you could share a little bit, what, because you've been working, I mean, you've been living here. You, you, you have a ministry, right? Uh, sorry that I call it work, but it's like a working ministry, ministry. That's the idea. Um, with college students, right? So they come in the door into your, the first floor, floor of your house where there's a chapel, there's a blessed sacrament there, and sometimes they hang out, and sometimes they come for confession if there's a priest in town. You receive them, you do a lot of hospitality work, but you also hang out, you talk, and sometimes you, you discuss things, you, you help them to wait while they're waiting for confession. How, what's the greatest, if you want to share a little bit, some grace that you've noticed, God working in this house, right? In this time that you've, these four years, one or two examples of how God has worked through you uh, and some kids. Go ahead. Um, I mean, first and foremost, a house like this, like the grotto that has uh, our Lord repose in the Blessed Sacrament, like on the first floor, I mean, it's pretty amazing, uh, attracts a certain type of person. And it so turns out I'm in need of those kind of people around mm-hmm. me. And I'm not exempt from the need for a good community just because I've been living the Catholic life for a while. In fact, I'm in more need of it now than maybe I've ever been. As our family grows, there's a lot of additional pull on your time and on your uh, attention. So we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old now, and you can sometimes get caught up in the minutia of Bruce the toddler and life. Marina. Bruce and Marina. <laughs> They're yep. awesome. They are awesome. But they also make it harder to have an interior life. <laughs> so, yeah. And you can live your prayer life in great exterior ways, and you can serve your children and sanctify that. But the interior life element is really hard to balance. Um, but this house attracts incredible, holy, young people, people who feel calls to the priesthood or to religious life, people who feel called to holy lives as married couples. And we get to interact with them day in and day out. And I and sometimes very not so holy that. people that you help them be holy. Yeah, that's the idea. Maybe I'm one of those people getting help <laughs> from them. So, um, but seeing these people come to our Lord and being aware of the fact that our Lord is waiting for them in the Blessed Sacrament day in and day out. I think every Catholic knows this deep down, but we're confronted with that every day. They're like He is there waiting, and even when we're busy or running around the house or sweeping, like He's there waiting. 
And That's awesome. It's great to see students who not only recognize that truth, but then respond to it by showing up by visiting him. Very good. And Peros, anything that you've noticed or any way that you've noticed the grace of God acting in somebody or some yeah, I student? Mean, I mean, it's sort of countless ways, actually, strangely. Um, but I guess maybe like a quick anecdote about about these graces that I just really noticed in an extremely tangible way. Um, I Our first year here was very difficult for me because I'm an introvert. <laughs> and um, I just was like not accustomed to having our house be open to the public for seven hours at a time. Absolutely. Actually, at Definitely. that time, we didn't even have technical hours. The house was just open all day, all day long. Um, and we've kind of moved into like morning hours and evening hours. But at the time, it was just open all the time. And um, I just felt so overwhelmed and very stressed out. <laughs> and um, I just kind of, I just, I was like, Tim, we can't do this for more than a year. We can't do this for more than a year. It's just, this is too much. <laughs> And I really, I'm unhappy and I feel stressed out all the time. And, and we were um, only living here for a month and a half doing ministry when Marina was born. Yeah. So it was kind so of. That really didn't help. It was an epic showdown for sure. Um, but I was kind of living in this unhappiness slash like I loved what we were doing, but I also kind of hated it. You know, like it was that weird tension. Um, but I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right, and right. Um, one, I, one day I was in the chapel and I was kind of just being like you know a punk i guess um and i was just like being a punk and i was just sitting You're there a punk. And i was yeah. just sitting there in front <laughs> of our I was lord all the time. <laughs> you know i was just sitting there in front of our lord and just saying like this is so hard like why why is this so hard i don't want to do this anymore and the reading that day um when i kind of was just like i'm done was um about the shepherd who does not gather his sheep out of compulsion he gathers his sheep out of love and i just felt totally floored by that right, like right. that's me i'm doing this out of compulsion because i have to because like i was hired for this job i'm not doing it because these people are beautiful people who like deserve to be closer to our lord and like that i could shepherd like i could be his hands in shepherding i'm not doing this because it's good or out of love i'm doing this because i have to and it was in that moment like sitting in the chapel that i just was like i i need to i need to dig deep and I need to do this. And because our Lord has asked us to do this. And I know that we were like, we felt the Holy Spirit was like telling us to move into the grotto. And he didn't, the Holy Spirit was not telling us to move into the grotto just so I could be a punk in front of our Lord. The Lord, like the Holy Spirit told us to move into the grotto because we had some purpose and some mission. And I think Absolutely. like the graces of living in that house and of being willing, I guess, to be honest with our Lord, um, but also like allowing him to like speak to me through the readings um, and like being open to the Holy Spirit in that moment, I think those graces are what have allowed us to be here for four years instead of one. Um, and I just felt kind of like punched in the face, like, wow, okay. Yep. Okay. I need to dig deep. I'm an introvert, but that doesn't give me license to not love well. So be better, you know? Wonderful. Wonderful. And that was that. Well, thank you very much. Well, very good. Moving on a little, another question I have for you. Um, so, You've been with around college students for four years. You've been college students, of course, um, and you've been ministering to them. So is there anything you would, would like to say to many college students here from this college or from many other universities that are listening or will listen to this podcast? Um, some words of wisdom about college life, dating, or marriage. Whatever you pick, you know, one each, you can talk about whatever you want. Wow, that's a lot of options. <laughs> wow. Um the biggest piece of advice I probably have is, 
to recognize that we are relational and that relationships are absolutely key to who we are and what we do. Um, we can see this in all sorts of ways. We see it in the ways that like, parent-child relationships are. Aristotle told us about it with uh, man as political animal. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is deep. It's biological. It's philosophical. It's everything. And it's supernatural. It's right, supernatural, well. right. And that's the next big step. And realizing that that we're so relational, then jumping to that supernatural level allows us to see there's only one relationship that's going to persist forever. So finding our identity within that relationship is the key. Like without that, what do you what do you have? Because everything else is going to fade away. Everything else is transient. Um, so and that's a relationship with God, right? The, you you mean the the supernatural relationship that yeah, lasts that's forever, the one that lasts forever is, is our one, with, one with Jesus Christ exactly. Right. Um, so with that in mind, my practical advice is find the ways in which you are going to encourage and develop your relationship with Christ and then do those things with all of your might. And if that means you're an extroverted night owl like me, then you go to the 10 p.m. rosary every day and you don't miss it. And then you start inviting people to 10 p.m. rosary and see who shows up. And the people who show up might be extroverted night owls who like praying the rosary at 10 p.m. And those people <laughs> might be good friends, right? And you, so you start with what are the things that make me happy in my pursuit of God and then find the fellow travelers. So often as a college student and now ministering to college students, I see people trying to force friendships that don't necessarily like work or they're they're so different. I think they should have started with the friendship, the friendship that you have with Jesus Christ pursue that well and whoever else is on that same path like join in with them invest and that has happened to me and my greatest friends have come that way and um i just think it's an easily overlooked simple piece of advice awesome thank you very much hey rose what would you say um my advice i guess is succinct just do nothing out of fear i find myself giving this advice to college students all the time when they come to chat chat with me about you know should we get engaged like their second semester senior year? Like we move across the country and we like our long distance. This is going to be so hard blah, 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 or, you know, whatever the situation is. And I just find myself always saying, do nothing out of fear. Like the, the Holy Spirit, God does not work through fear. So if you're doing this because you're worried that this, that, or the other thing might happen, that's probably not the right reason. So that applies to marriage. That applies to discerning, you know, what you're going to, where your occupation is going to lie. That does, that applies to pretty much everything in life I found. So. Yeah. Right, right. And also one thing that I could add to both things is always to trust that God has a plan for you and Definitely. that he loves you deeply, right? So he brought you to today, right, with his grace, wherever you're at, and that he will continue to accompany you to where you have to go. You just try your best to be faithful to God and he is going to be faithful to you. That's right? perfect, Father. Very good. So, and also we have an, another guest here with us. Uh, college student uh, Claire, and uh, she will introduce herself. So I'm going to let you, Claire, go ahead. And she has a question for you too, for Tim and Pear Rose, um, from a college perspective, college student perspective. Um, so yeah, go ahead. How are Thanks, you doing, Father. Claire? I'm doing well. How are you? Great to see you. Um, yeah, my name's Claire. I'm from Virginia. I'm a junior at Hillsdale College studying English. Um, and just one thing I've been thinking about recently that I think a lot of college students and just people in general can really relate to is 
the importance of communication and relationships, especially when things get really busy. Um, and I was just wondering if, um, what are some ways that you really work to maintain good communication, especially in a space like the grotto where there's always college students coming in and out and just a lot going on. And what, what are just some ways that you work towards that? When we were doing um, pre-Cana, before we got married, we went to this little like communication class. And a lot of people think that's kind of, I uh, just got to get through this to get married. But we actually found it would, to be extremely useful and really wonderful. This great like 60-year-old couple ran it. Um, it was wonderful. But um, one thing that they just kept driving home was if you're if you are arguing or if you just have a different point of view or if, you know, whatever it is, if you're really busy and you feel like you haven't been communicating, the easiest way to like fix that is to have one person say their whole thing, their whole spiel, everything they're feeling, everything they're thinking, whatever it is, pause, and then, re- and then have the, have your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, like repeat that back to you, like say everything they just said, and then say your thing in return. So before you give your point of view back, you just have to make sure that you have like reiterated what they were saying so that you, you can both feel certain that you've communicated in that moment. Um, and, you know, I think that's just like really basic communication advice, but um, we've actually found it to be really helpful. Like, Tim, I'm going to tell you everything I'm upset about, everything I'm worried about, everything I'm whatever about. And then I want to make sure, I just want to be heard. Every human being wants to be heard. Every human bo- being Absolutely. wants to be seen. Absolutely. So for him to then re- repeat it back to me makes me feel like, Whew, wow, okay. It's out there. It's in the world. It's to his ears. He knows. And now anything he responds back is like truly in response to what I've said. And I found that to be really helpful advice. So. That's great. Thank you, Paris. <laughs> um, I would say this is a really complicated question because depending on what stage of life you're in, it's slightly different. But I will harken back to Perry Rose's other advice, which is to not do things out of fear. And so that kind of goes for every stage of relational communication, um, whether you're trying to ask a girl or a guy out on a date or whether you're trying to talk to your spouse about something important or um, high stakes or something like that. So I think in both cases, there's this, uh, I don't know, temptation to not ruffle feathers or to like kind of reserve, keep your cards close so that you don't make yourself too vulnerable. And I think honestly, people really appreciate a little bit of vulnerability. They appreciate you willing to like come with that, come to them in honesty and share something and then they can choose how to respond. So, I mean, I talk to a lot of young guys who are trying to ask a lot of young cute girls out and they, you know, have a hard time with this. And it's like, Maybe you should just admit that you're kind of having a hard time with that. And, <laughs> you know, exactly. they probably really That's appreciate that. Right, uh, right, right. So I have to do the same thing with Perry Rose. When I have something difficult to talk about or I'm in a bad mood, maybe it's worth going to her and saying, like, I'm in a bad mood. And, like, I'm trying to figure this out and be vulnerable. Um, married couples, I think it can be easy. Sometimes you're playing, trying to play your cards really close. And that it can feel that way because, like, I need to for whatever reason, this temptation just sneaks in. And really, I think the key is to be honest, to be forthright, to be vulnerable, and to practice that vulnerability. Uh, Jesus Christ showed us the perfect example of vulnerability by not putting, like, choosing the cross, like, being there exposed to all the hatred of the world, arms wide open. Like, can we do that in individual relationship building, communication, and conversations? And 
I mean, the problem is once again, there's some caveats. Like you don't want to go bare your heart to some random person and right, cr- creep right. them out. But if you there have, has to be some trust relationship, yeah, of you start building the trust a little bit, and then you try to share something with them and see how they respond. And if they're not able to respond to you well, then you know you've made or break the situation. Move on. Like that so often happens. How are we going to have this conversation? We'll have it, and if it goes really poorly, maybe that means this isn't meant to be, especially in the dating uh, realm. So. Right. One thing I would add, if that is okay. Um, just a, like a summary, a little bit of what you said. First of all, uh, we have to create the time for communication, right? So sometimes our lives are very busy and much more today with the, with the smartphones. Sometimes you go to a restaurant, you see a husband and wife or a couple and each one is on their phone looking down, you know? So we need to create time to speak to each other, right? Whatever that person is, brother, sister, you know, whatever persons may be need communication. You, we need to create the, the environment. I remember with my dad, now he passed away, but before he passed away, sometimes my conversations with him were never a two-way conversation. It was basically he talked to me, and I heard, and I listened, and I said yes or no, and maybe had to answer, you know? But I remember once I, I invited him out to coffee. Like, it, of course, I was a priest, I'm an adult, but something I had never done before. So create that situation is important in every occasion, right, to... To speak, and then when you speak, to listen to the other person first. Each one, you know, take advantage and listen to what they have to say, and let them talk. As you, as Pierrot said, everything they had to say, just let them say everything they have to say. And in, and when you respond, try to respond from your heart, sincerely, but with charity, right? So never let sincerity for, make you forget your charity, you know, or your prudence, because we have to be always charitable in the way we say things. Uh, so with a heart coming from God trying to be inspired by what God would want you to say, say that with sincerity, with humility, and always with charity. So, very good. Well, thank you, everyone. Anything, anything else that you want to share or want to uh, say? I mean, I have to make a shameless plug for Milius Christi really quickly because I've been very close to them for at least eight years now. Um, so, early on, when I first met uh, Milius Christi priest, was Father John Israti. He did... Uh, confession and spiritual direction at the grotto in this kitchen. That was the 2013. Same place. Yep, 2013. And I was sitting here and talking to him and I learned a lot about him and I, I have a great appreciation for him. And since then, I've met so many other Miles Christi yeah, priests. Yeah, let's, let's see who they were. Father Gonzalo. Yep. So, Father John, Father Gonzalo, Father Caesar. Yep. Father Paul. Father Paul. And the one talking. Yep, and Father Patrick. <laughs> Father Patrick. And of course, we've met others, which is really, really cool. Right, Father John of God uh, back yep. at our house. Awesome. So, because of my interaction with Father John Israti invited me to one of the spiritual exercises in Michigan. And so right after school one year, I went on the spiritual exercises. And kind of the biggest thing weighing on me was that Perry Rose and I had been dating for several years. She had not really made any indication that she was interested in becoming Catholic. I can say proudly that I really had no interest in changing her as like me changing her. I was interested in her developing as a human being and whatever that meant. And I was on that retreat that I really realized due to the principles of foundation that like all these things belong to God. They do not belong to me. Like not even my own health belongs to me. All of these things belong to me and should be oriented towards his greater glory. And then in that moment, I was able to sort of pass Perry Rose and like all of our relationship to him. And that put me in a much greater position of like peace and tranquility about where our relationship was. And 
crazily enough, I felt like totally great about that for like three months. And then, then Perry Rose told me she's coming into the church. I was like, well, that was pretty wild. So I think Miles Christie provides these like making time for conversation is like the whole point of a silent retreat. (laughs) Like you go on these retreats, you listen to these great talks given by great holy men, like the priest of Miles Christie, and then you spend time with God, which is the most important part. And like in conversation with him, find yourself. Very good. Well, thank you to all those priests who came uh, here to the grotto and did a lot of work. We have them in our minds and our hearts. So, well, thank you everyone for all of you for being here. Uh, That will wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. And if you have any more questions for Tim or for Perry Rose, just send me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org and I'll forward it to them. Hopefully they may be able to answer some tips and ideas and tricks of the of the trade of marriage and dating and college life. So please remember to subscribe to Apple or Google or Spotify or to, so as to receive all your our future episodes. And if you can rate the show so that others uh, will be encouraged to listen it listen to it as well. So again, thank you so much everyone and we'll see you next time and may God bless your day. <laughs>